Good morning. If you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. We sing the song of let the Lord have his way, and I hope that we truly mean that from our hearts. In fact, in the chapter here this morning, we learn that God has a plan. God always has a plan. And God is always working in the lives of people. He's working in your life. And do you let him have his way? And what's fascinating, as we're going to see in this chapter today, is that God is working sometimes when we don't even realize it. And it's important for us to be looking for it and for us to acknowledge it. I'd like to jump around a little bit as we start before we dive into the history of this chapter and look at some key phrases about the Lord being involved in these events. If you look with me here in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 2, we read, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, I thought Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jehoiakim. I thought Nebuchadnezzar gained the victory over Jehoiakim and over Jerusalem. But ah, we see that the Lord rules in the kingdom of men. And it is indeed the Lord who gave Jehoiakim into his hand. And we read of all the other events that follow here, including the captivity of Daniel and his friends. And we see that this was the work of God. Now, if we look down a little bit further and we come to chapter 1 and verse 9, we read this. Now, God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. We're going to learn about the history of this, but if you look at this, who is it that brought Daniel into the favor of this prince? It wasn't Daniel. It was God who showed him favor. God was involved here again in the life of Daniel in showing him favor with the prince of the eunuchs. Well, let's keep on going down and come to verse 17 for Daniel and his three friends and perhaps others, but particularly Daniel and his three friends in this case, after being educated in the royal palace and in the royal university of Babylon, it tells us that in all of this, verse 17, and as for those four children, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And so we see these young men, and we're going to learn about how they in themselves had sought to know God, and they themselves were men of character and discipline and hard work, but it was ultimately God who was working in their lives. And that's an important lesson for us to observe in the book of Daniel and in our own lives, to be watching for and ready to follow God's leading in our lives and give all the praise to him. So let's look at this history. I hope the history of Daniel is familiar to you, and I hope, more importantly, that the example that Daniel sets forth is an example that you have been following. Daniel, a man of faith. If you see here our, our, our acronym again of the whole book of Daniel, all 12 chapters, our acronym is Daniel's Faith. And we start off today 
in chapter 1, which is where Daniel, he finds favor with Nebuchadnezzar. Well, what's favor? Well, he finds respect. He finds kindness. He finds honor with Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Now, if you learn a little bit more about Babylon and about the kings, that's a pretty big deal. Daniel finds favor. Well, how did that happen, especially as we begin to learn about what takes place here? It says that in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. This is our timeline, and you can see here the yellow bar there. This is the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, one of the purple bars there at the end of the reign of Judah. See, Daniel was carried away captive before the final destruction of Jerusalem in 586. It was in 606 B.C. that he was carried away captive. He was one of part of that first deportation. He was really a hostage. He, his friends, and other princes were taken from their homes, and they were carried away to Babylon for two reasons. One was so that they could be indoctrinated in the Babylonian ways. Because you see, Babylonian culture was very different than Jewish culture. And they wanted to have people who were of the bloodline, Jewish bloodline, who were Jews, to be trained in the culture of the Babylonians. Not only in the culture, but in the education system and how to think. They wanted them to think like Babylonians. But another reason they were carried away captive was as hostages, which is basically to say, Jehoiakim, you better behave yourself here in Jerusalem because if you don't, and all of your other princes, we have these hostages, and who knows what will happen to these hostages if you don't behave yourself. Now, knowing King Jehoiakim, I sure wouldn't want to have been Daniel. But this is why it's so important that in spite of Jehoiakim, Daniel established a relationship with the princes and the royalty of Babylon in such a way that uh, regardless of what was going on back in Judah, it seems that Daniel continued to rise and rise and rise. And that's a lesson for all of us. It doesn't really matter what everybody around us is doing. Are we trusting in our God day by day, no matter what? And we're going to see that Daniel was just such a man. Well, Jerusalem was besieged, and you know that it tells us here the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand. And it tells us also with part of the vessels of the house of God. They took all of those vessels and they carried them away captive, the treasures. And they carried them captive to Babylon. And here we can see the Middle East and you can see the Mediterranean Sea and Jerusalem is over here and Babylon is way over here and they would take the long way around. Well, not really the long way. It was the only way because they had to go up around the desert to get to Babylon. And they came to Babylon and Babylon was that great city. Now the world power, magnificent city. But they didn't come here you know, as if they were royalty, which many of them may have actually been royalty. They didn't march into this great city with pomp and grandeur. It's very likely that they were carried into the city, or may I say, drug into the city in chains. They were captives. They were captives in this land. Slaves. Now, I wonder, do we, when we live in comfort, peace,
peace stay true to our God all the time? Will Daniel stay true to his God though he's in chains? Will he stay true and his friends to the one true God in a world of paganism, witchcraft, demonism, the worship of the stars, the worship of men, the worship of beasts? Will Daniel stay true? A hostage in such a situation? Well, the question could be asked of all of us. Will we? Will we? And, and none of us have chains. But this is the situation of Daniel. He's this captive in this place. And now the treasures that used to be in the temple of Jehovah are now being used in pagan temples with worship that is so grotesque and immoral and evil, I can't even describe it to you. Those sacred, precious, holy vessels are now being used in such a place. Well, the carrying away of those, as we learned last week, was a fulfillment of a hundred-year-old prophecy when Hezekiah had boasted of his treasures and shown them to princes of, e of Babylon back when Babylon was a nobody, no great power. So I will need some helpers. Who wants to be Nebuchadnezzar? I thought this one might be harder. But hey, you want to be, come, come, you be Nebuchadnezzar. I actually, I... I really kind of do like to be Nebuchadnezzar. He gets kind of a bad name, but he is kind of a great, cool guy. Don't you think so? Yeah, he guesses. You get to wear a cool hat. Here we've got Nebuchadnezzar, the king, the head of gold, the great, the powerful, his majesty, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, who wants to be Daniel? Hmm. Well, I guess I'd better play the role of Nebuzaradan and just go find Daniel. Who wants to be Daniel before you get chosen at the point of a sword? Nobody? <laughs> now, you'd laugh, but you just imagine being yourself Daniel. Oh, you want to be Daniel? Come on up here. You're going to get carried away captive. Yeah, we got to keep these on you somehow. <laughs> hey, can you tell me where Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are? No. You sure? Just find me three guys that are that can be Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Oh, you know some guys over there? Ben? Hey, Ben and Toby? Oh, you're picking all your brothers. That's good. I don't have enough chains for them. Who else? Should we pick James over there? Does he look like a good Michelle? Yeah, James, you're the Michelle. Now, how would you guys like to get living in your home, put in chains, and carried away to a foreign land? Now, you guys don't like vacations. To a foreign land where you didn't know the language. Now, this won't work with you three, but, but, but Mr. Ab Mr. Abner, you know, you know some Chinese? Can, can, can you tell him some things to do in Chinese and see how well he obeys? Now, John, 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 John
Did that make any sense to you? Now imagine how disturbing that would be if these guys came in with swords and started barking orders at you and you had no idea what they were saying. Now you know he wasn't going to beat you up, but um, mm, the real Babylonians weren't very kind. And maybe they were to you guys because you were princes, and maybe they were to you guys because they knew you guys, they had big plans for you guys. But they still were barking orders at you that you had no idea what they were saying. Could you imagine how scary that would be? Would that be scary? The guy was sword telling you to do stuff, and you had no idea what he was telling you to do. And while he's telling you to do it, you're not obeying, so he's getting madder at you, and then he starts pushing you around. That's the kind of situation that was going on here. Not a very pleasant day. So you're all carried away captive to Babylon. Now, I told you all Nebuchadnezzar has some plans for you guys. Nebuchadnezzar has some plans for these guys. He's going to indoctrinate them in the ways of the Babylonians. If you look there, it tells us here in verse 3 that the king spake unto Asavanaz. Who's he? Well, I don't know. Who is he? Let's see. Um, um, hmm, I need Owen, you want to come on up here and be this guy? You, you are some kind of a ruler next to the king. You're, you're a special guy. And uh, the, the king gives you these commands. Listen to what these commands are for you to do. He speaks to you who are the master of the eunuchs. That means you're in charge of all the eunuchs who are the servants of the king and, and other work they do. And it says that you're, you'll bring these certain children of Israel of, of the king's seed. You're the royalty. That's special, huh? And of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and as such as had ability to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. That's the plan. And so you've now been appointed to take these guys who are the princes of Judah, of the seed royal of Judah, that are smart. And oh, maybe it's about time we take the chains off because we're going to train them in all of the education and the wisdom of the Babylonians. That's your job. But you've got helpers. So um, there's a guy that you know whose name is Melzar. Go get me Melzar. We need to talk to Melzar. We got to have a plan for Melzar. Who's Melzar? Nathan's Melzar. So you are, you're the guy who is in charge. So it's the king, it's you, and it's you. All right? We've got these three guys. Now, you've been appointed with the task of making sure these guys get educated. All right? And now you also appoint him to make sure these guys get fed. They look pretty scrawny, don't they? These guys need to get fed, fattened up. You know, they've been on that 500-mile journey. I, I took a trip yesterday about 500 miles, and in a car, it was a long drive. Now, imagine taking a 500-mile journey in chains. You guys would probably be scrawny after that. So your job is to fatten them up, to make them healthy, strong, 
princes so that you can brainwash them so that you can use them to control those Jews 500 miles back in Jerusalem one day if need be. That's the real plan here. That's the strategy. It was a common strategy. It was what the Assyrians did before. And now it's what the Babylonians are doing. It was a way of controlling the people. Here is the plan. And so the king appoints for them to have a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank. Here, they're going to be fed like royalty. You get the food and the wine from the stores in the kitchen of the king. This great golden king, Nebuchadnezzar. Does that sound good? Are you sure? Huh. Well, at first glance it does. They're going to be educated. Now this is an interesting thing. They're going to be educated in all the ways. You know what also that likely included? You were going to be taught all the religion of the Babylonians. You're going to be taught all of the witchcraft of the Babylonians. That doesn't sound very nice, does it? No. Especially to Jews who believe God and what God has commanded. They are troubled. Well, I wonder for all of us, how do we process the vain philosophies? Those are the worthless or evil teachings and philosophies in the world around us. Do we just let everything come in and believe everything we hear and read? I sure hope not. I sure hope that everything that we hear and are taught before we believe it, that we test it by the word of God. And Daniel and his three friends demonstrate to us some very wise wisdom. Can you take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians? Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We have a lesson here. And it's a similar lesson, but a little bit different for all of you guys. In Colossians chapter 2, in verse 10, it says this. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Have you guys received Jesus Christ as Lord? Is he your Savior? So the command here is, just as you've received him, walk in him. What do you think it means to walk in him? Obey his commandments. To obey his commandments. Anything else? Do what he does. Do what he does. What else might it mean? In order for you to do what he does, in order for you to keep his commandments, what do you need first? You need to know him. You need to know him. You need to walk with him. And as you've received him, you receive him by faith, by believing. So you walk by believing him day by day. That's the command here. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. And now look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. It says, rooted and built up in him. That means that you are grounded as if a tree planted in the ground. But instead of planted in the ground, you're planted in Jesus. You're rooted in him. And you're established in the faith. That's in the truth of God's, God's revealed promises. And he says, as you have been taught, continue in that as well. Now, I wonder if these four young children, these Jewish children, had been taught 
the ways of God. I don't know their background prior to this time, but I wonder, I wonder if they didn't have parents who taught them in God's ways. I don't know, but I'll tell you, as a parent, and I have children, I want to teach them in God's way, because if they're ever pulled away like these four, and God forbid that ever happen, I would want them to stand strong, and I would want them to be rooted and grounded in Christ, and I would want them to be established in the faith, and I would want them to continue as they had been taught, and I sure hope that I had been teaching them what was true. And tells us that we are to abound therein in this, in Christ, with thanksgiving. Now, if you imagine, you guys are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Just imagine now that you're carried away in this place. You don't understand anything that's going on, Things are going to be about to get weird. Do you think you could abound with thanksgiving? Abound with thanksgiving. I'll tell you this. You can, but would you? Sometimes we fail to give thanksgiving when we've got food right in front of us. Sometimes we grumble and complain about the food we have that God has provided for us. Wait till you find out some of the, these guys do when it comes to food. Here are they those who stay. Now, in Colossians chapter 6 and verse 8, it says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through, through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Beware. Don't be spoiled. Your land is being spoiled. Your lives have been spoiled. Will you now be spoiled? having robbed from you what is true and good through the philosophies of these Babylonians, the rudiments of the world, those things which are not after God. Will Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? But more importantly, will you? Will we beware lest we be spoiled? The truth be taken from us, from our hearts, for they are the rudiments of the world, and it says, not after Christ. And then look at verse 9. For in him, that is Jesus Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Now let me tell you all a little secret. These verses I've just read are saying that those who, are, who have received Christ... They are complete in him. That means that you have everything you need. You are complete. And in fact, it says that all the fullness of God dwells in you. Now here's something that's really intriguing. Daniel didn't have the scripture yet, but we do. Do we believe it and live our lives as if it were true? What's amazing is that these young men back in that time had not even yet had the scripture but I think we find them living the reality of it. They trusted in God, and they found that he was the head of all principality and power. We've got the greatest to the great. Oh, but actually, as we keep reading Daniel, we find out that there's some people higher and greater than Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, they're called angels or demons. And we've got principalities and powers, and we've got this structure. We've got the great king, and he's got this guy in charge, and this guy. You see the structures of power and principalities here. Here's the principalities. 
Well, you know, when we have Christ and we received him and trust him, he is greater and above all of that. And so if we are in him and he in us and we are complete in him and all the fullness of God lives in us, then that makes us greater than all the principalities and powers. And we don't got to be afraid of it. And I think we find that out true here with these men. For it tells us now in verse 6, Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We need your your names, you know, because we can't keep you all straight. You're Daniel, right? We've got Daniel. And let's make you Hananiah. And uh, we've got Mishael and Azariah. Okay? Now, all you Babylonians, are you all Babylonians? How many of you are familiar with these names? Oh, well, if you're Babylonians, you're not. These are hard names to pronounce. And so you got to give them, especially if they're going to become, you know, brainwashed in the Babylonian ways, we got to give them Babylonian names. But look at their names. Hanani, what's your name mean? Jehovah's, does that sound like an awesome name? That's right. That's why I gave it to one of my kids. Michelle, does that, what's your name mean? Michelle. Oh, wow. That's a great name too. How about Azariah? What's your name? Uh, The Lord has helped. Hard to read upside down, isn't it? The Lord has helped. Oh, these are good names. Oh, Daniel, look at that. God is my judge. But we're Babylonians. Maybe we, we should help these guys out. We don't like their names. So we're going to fix them, right? All right. Yes. Come here. Let's change Daniel's name to Belteshazzar. What's Belteshazzar mean? Bell, protect his life. Who's Bell? One of our gods. One of the Babylonian gods. We don't like the name Daniel, so we're going to give him the name Belteshazzar. Bell, protect his life. Uh, Hananiah. We're going to name him to him Shadrach, command of Aku. Let's go give that. And, and uh, Michel? Yeah, we don't like that name either. We're going to name him... Meshach, which means who is what Aku is. Well, who's Aku? Another one of our gods. And oh yes, Azariah. His name means the one who is helped by Jehovah. We got a new name for him too. Um, Abindigo, the servant of Nebo. The servant of one of our gods. You like that name? So we gave them all now Babylonian names. Now, this is significant. All these guys get their name changed. So do you think he's going to go from one who is helped by Jehovah to be the servant of Nebo? Hmm? I hope not. Hey, you, Belteshazzar, is Bel going to protect your life? Yeah, that's right. Bel doesn't exist. And if he does, he's a demon. And he's a demon, he doesn't like you. None of these gods exist in any real legitimate way, at least not as gods. 
and false. Yet they've been given these names now. Will they, will they, will they allow these names to change who their identity is? We talk, do you know what I mean by identity? So your name is Owen, and when you hear you're known as Owen and you're known as Nathan, that's who you are. But when people think of Nathan, they think of more than just your name. They think of you and who you are and you and who you are, and they have a whole concept of who Owen is. Sometimes it's wrong and sometimes it's right. What's our name? How are we known? What's our identity? I hope I want to be known as a Christian. Do you guys want to be known as a Christian? That means a little Christ. That means Christ-like. Is that our identity? Will these men's identity change? Well, their names have been changed. Will they follow in their way? And I want you to look with me carefully at the next verse or at the end of verse 8. Here, right after their names get changed, at the beginning of verse 8, I'm sorry, it tells us something about Daniel. And you know, as we go on, I think it's somewhat true in the others' lives, but it's particularly true here in Daniel. It says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Hmm. Do you guys know what it means to purpose in your heart? What do you think that means? He says, commit yourself. That's good. That's good. Anything else you'd elaborate on it? Daniel, he said, purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. So they're going to get fed your royal food. You're going to make sure that he feeds them from the royal table of the king. But now Daniel is purposed in his heart that he will not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat or of the king's wine. To purpose is just as, just as uh, let's see, you're, you're Meshach. To, to, to lay up in your heart, to settle in your heart, or as or he put, to commit yourself. Um, the, the word it speaks of to, to appoint something, to establish something, to decide something. And so Daniel, in his heart, decided that he would not defile himself. Now, this is actually a really important part of living the Christian life. Sometimes we go through life, and we get hit with the temptation, and we disobey God, and we yield to the temptation. Have any of you ever done that? I have. You ever going through and you're confronted with temptation, instead of obeying God, you just do the, what you've been tempted to do? Did you know that one of the reasons that happens is because we have not done what Daniel did? Is that ahead of time, even before the temptation comes, that we purpose in our hearts that we will obey? We need to every day purpose in our hearts, today I will obey. I will commit to obey, and it will be from my heart. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 11. I wonder if these truths weren't real for you. Well, not you guys, but I hope for you guys in the modern world, but for you guys in history. Deuteronomy chapter 11, there is a command given to the nation of Israel. 
Look with me here what it says. Deuteronomy 11, verse 18. God has just reviewed some laws for his people. And then he says this. Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart. That is the exact wording that Daniel is said of. Purposed in his heart. Here it says they have laid it up in his heart. Now, how do you lay something in your heart? You take, remember it? Yeah, you remember it, that's good. Have you ever heard the phrase that says, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven? What's that mean? That means to store it in heaven. That means to put it in heaven. That means to settle it in heaven, right? So now God says to take this, what you've heard, the words of him, and to treasure them in your heart, to lay them up in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be frontlets between your eyes. Now, some of the Jews later in history decided they were going to do this with literal, literal things, but you know, that doesn't, isn't what it's talking about here. It's not talking about taking little scrolls and tying them onto your arm or strapping them onto your forehead. I could do that. I remember one time I wanted to buy, they're called flactories, and I went and I spent some good money for it. And I was so excited to get them. And I wanted, I always imagined that the reason they did this is so they would always be carrying the Bible with them. And they would take them when they had a free moment. And they would take them and they'd sit down and they'd open them up and they'd take the scroll and they'd have it always with them. You know, like we carry our phones with us so that we can always, when we have a spare moment, read our Bibles. Do we do that? Um, and so these flactories, I thought that's what they always were. But then when I got them, I found out that they were these special sacred things and they were sealed up tight and it was considered a terrible bad thing to ever open them. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't because it was a wrong application of this. This isn't what this is talking about. This is saying that you have the word of God and it's laid up in your heart as a treasure. And it's as if it is always before your eyes. And it's as if it is always in your hand. Because you have taken the time to value what God has said, so much so that it's always before you in your presence. Do you see that? Daniel has purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He has laid up the word of God in his life as though it is always before his eyes, always upon his hand. It's interesting because I wonder if this is true for you guys. I think it's true. I hope it's true in your lives. But it says that they're commanded to teach their children these words of God, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. I wonder if Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and Daniel had parents who obeyed this command, who themselves laid up the words of God in their hearts, in their soul, purposed in their hearts to obey God and taught their children the same. Don't know. But I hope that's true for us. And moms and dads, I hope that's true for all of us. It goes on, and it's like these scriptures, these words are all throughout the house. They're gates, and these commands are to be kept. It says in verse 20 um, or 22, to keep all these commandments which I command you to do them. And look at this. It's not just about keeping the commandments. And this is what's key for Daniel. To love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways, and to cleave unto him. So here now, a lesson for all of us is we need to know God's word, purpose to obey God's word from our hearts, 
but most importantly, love God and cleave to him. That's what was commanded of Daniel. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. Now, why don't you come and you sit down over there on that throne over there. And let's just imagine you guys here, you sit down here and you imagine we're at a table. Can we do that? And, and you guys, you're in charge of him and your job is to feed him. Now, we look at food. I'm going to show you a picture of some food. And you're all going to get your mouths watering, right? Mmm. That look good? Hey, Meshach, what you think of this dinner from the king's table? You like ham? Okay, let's change this. Toby, do you like ham? Yes. Toby likes ham. Meshach, do you like ham? No. Mm. Why does Meshach not like ham? Well, that's one thing. He's never tried it. So is this like a lot of you who never try anything and then you don't like it, but you never tried it, so it doesn't really count that you don't like it? Or is this something bigger than just the fact that you've never tried it? No, God, in Leviticus chapter 11, had given very specific commands as to what his people were to eat. And guess what? Ham was one of the things they weren't supposed to eat. Now, we fast forward to the New Testament. We see that God has changed that and spoken of that what God has said is clean, call not thou unclean, and rise up, kill, and eat. Um, things that to the Jew was unclean, wouldn't think of doing. And it's important that it be done with thanksgiving, as we're taught in the New Testament. But in this time of history, to the Jews, they would not defile themselves with ham. I've actually met some Jews even today who have not uh, um, accepted Christ, but yet others who have accepted Christ, but yet because of their background, they, the thought of eating ham is just like, oh, no. But this was a conviction issue here now. So here now, you are getting the ultimate privilege of eating from the king's table. And maybe even in the same room. You see him over there? He's watching you. He's got that, he's, he's kind of even glaring at you guys. See him over there? And, and you guys are supposed to feed them, fatten them up, make them good from the king's table. But they purpose that they won't defile themselves. Well, there's probably two or a combination of two reasons that they wouldn't wanted to be defiled in themselves. And one is that the food that was being offered was unclean foods. And some of it was also probably offered to idols. And in some cases, maybe the wine issue was a question of a combination of that. And also because it was alcoholic. And these knew that the scripture said before that they had that um, wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And they don't want to not be wise. They want to be wise. And so this is presented to them in they knew it was going to be presented to them. And so they purposed Daniel particularly in his heart that he would not defile himself. Now it tells us that Daniel, he had a request here for, for this man here, for God had shown Daniel favor in your eyes. It says here actually that it was favor and tender love. You came to love him. That's pretty spectacular. He's supposed to care for him, and there's a tender love that took place here, a kindness. And um, Daniel comes to him and petitions that they not have to eat this. And you're afraid. Because now this guy, 
and it's implied that his three friends are with him, come to you and say, we don't want to eat this food you're giving us. You offended? Yeah, maybe. But I think more than offended, you're scared because your boss has told you to feed them good food and fatten them up. And his boss has told him to which means that if you don't do what your boss told you to do, then your boss and you are in trouble with that guy. And kings at this time don't treat you very nice when you don't do what they tell you to do. So we've got the king, and then this guy, and then this guy, and then these guys. And these guys, because of conscience, because God has said no, have purpose in their heart that they will obey God rather than men. And so now when they're confronted with this situation, they will obey God which will result in disobeying, disobeying, disobeying. What will happen to them? What will happen? Will you guys just go ahead and eat the meat? You sure? This is a pretty scary situation here. Come on. It's just meat. It's just food. It's not like they're asking you to do something really wicked. Am I being a good influence on these guys? Am I being a good influence? I'm glad you can recognize that. You know, I wonder how many of the other captives were a bad influence. I imagine you guys had some conversations of saying, it's not a big deal, guys. It's not a big deal. Just eat it. But you all remember, because you have purposed in your heart, you have laid up the words of the Lord in your heart and your soul that you will cleave to the God, your God, the God. You will love him. And if you love him and you obey him, if you love him and you cleave to him, you will obey him. And it doesn't really matter what this guy says or this guy or this guy says. It gets worse now. Because this guy, after you have appealed to him, he comes to you and he says, I fear my Lord, the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your face as worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Which means there's others like you who are eating. But you guys decide not to. And look what he says here. Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. You know what that means? You are scared he is going to Chop off your head if these guys don't eat what they're supposed to eat. Wow. Now that's an ethical dilemma. You know, you read about ethics and philosophics of ethics. Here's an ethical dilemma. You either eat food or this guy dies. That sound like a hard decision? Do you see how somebody could maybe talk you into going ahead and just disobeying God and eating the food? And you know what's amazing is that this is just about what they eat. Do you know why this is a big deal? It's because these men are going to be confronted with not just what they eat. You're going to be confronted with everything. Everything that you are taught, everything that you are dealing with, you're going to have to. It's a big deal. In fact, let's jump ahead. Just the littlest thing of praying is praying a little thing? 
No, it's a big thing. But sometimes we treat it as a little thing because we don't do it. But you see, we find these who they laid up in their hearts the word of God, in their hearts and in their soul. They purposed in their heart that they would obey God even in the smallest of things as to what they ate. This is the reason why we find these men. And when we find them standing, well, can I tell them all ahead of the story? When we find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing before the king who says, bow down and worship my golden image or be cast into the furnace of fire. These men were able to stand strong. Do you know why? In that big moment, you might say, we might all say, if I were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I was standing there with Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar said, bow down to the image, I would be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I would obey God. Praise God, I hope that's true. So let me ask you a question. God says, obey your parents. God says to be kind. God says to forgive. Will we purpose in our hearts to obey in just even the smallest things? Like what we even eat. In the New Testament, it says that we are to glorify God whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, glorify God. And I'll tell you, the reason that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to stand in the day when they were commanded to worship an idol, and the reason why Belteshazzar, Daniel, was able to stand in the day of the lion's den, goes back to this simple truth. Deuteronomy 11. They had laid up the words of the Lord in their heart and in their soul and they purposed to obey. And then when the trouble came, they obeyed. And remember, Deuteronomy doesn't just say about laying them up and doesn't just say about teaching them. It talks about doing them and doing them because you love the Lord your God and you cleave unto him. These men had a relationship with God. They trusted in him. So what's going to happen now? A lot of you know what's going to happen. But think about it for a moment. It's just ham, guys. He's going to get beheaded if you don't eat it. I mean, imagine I'm one of those other Jews that got carried away captive. You know, Guys, we all might get beheaded. Will they stay true? For a moment, just forget what you know. Surely they'll compromise to save at least this guy's head. Because, you know, he loves them. And he shows them tender kindness. Surely they'll just compromise. It's no big deal to compromise a little bit, is it? Is it? Is it? Purpose in our hearts to obey God. And next week we're going to find out what happens. But you don't have to wait till next week. You all can read ahead in Daniel chapter 1. And our family Bible readings, I hope you guys do those to either as individuals or as families to help you and grow you in truth. Great God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are great and good and almighty. We thank you that you work in the affairs of men. And we thank you that as we purpose in our hearts to obey, as we lay up your words as a treasure in our hearts, that in the time of testing comes, we will obey. 
And may we do it both in the little things and in the big things. That in all things, whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, you might be glorified. May this make a difference in all of our lives. We pray in your name. Amen.